Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. This is, this is a weekly podcast about the many ancient journeys that make up the Camino de Santiago or the way of St. James. Those who walk are considered pilgrims. Their journey is about self-discovery. And the Camino is famous for its energy, its vitality, its opportunity for renewal. I've walked the Camino just twice. Some people have walked nine Caminos, 19 Caminos, 29 Caminos. It calls you. Its pull is impossible to ignore. And it urges you to find what it's offering. It says, come, listen, learn. My desk calendar gave me a great quote this week. The US writer Frank Herbert said, Without new experiences, something inside of us sleeps. The sleeper must awaken. The Camino de Santiago is a great place to wake up. My guest this week is an Australian pilgrim, Ruth Beardsley. I met Ruth at a concert I performed in Brisbane in late 2018. And Ruth's on the line. Hello, pilgrim. Hello, Dan. So nice to talk to you. And when people hear your accent, they're going to say, she doesn't sound like an Australian pilgrim. <laughs> you know, lots of Australians ask me whether I'm Irish. And I say, no, why do you think I'm Irish? But I'm actually, I was actually born in Canada. And I immigrated here 25 or 26 years ago. And we were talking just before we began that you were a, a quite a late bride. Yes, I was 53 years old when I got married for the first time. And uh, I just, I love being married. And um, so I went through the process of changing my name to Beardsley. <laughs> how lovely, how lovely. Yes, yes. Uh, can I ask you to tell me the story of how you discovered the Camino? Oh, well, you know, that's, I think from memory, it was 35 years ago when my then partner, Tim, and he'll know who he is, he mentioned the Camino to me a long time ago. And it sort of stuck in the back of my mind because at that time I was an avid runner. Um, I, I, I have been uh, fairly fit my whole life. So it just sort of stuck in the back of my mind. And then uh, fast forward to, um, I think it was 2017, when I heard you talking about the Camino with Alan Jones, who I listened to on a semi-regular basis. So that sparked my interest. So that's uh, that must have been September 2017. And now the most important aspect of your story begins. Let's step back yes. in let's step back in time. I'm going to walk you through it if I could. What's it like when a doctor says to you, Ruth, you have suspicious cysts on your ovaries? Um, well, uh, at first I wasn't concerned, but I did ask for a copy of the scan. Now, mind you, I'd had one scan in March which said I had cysts and there were no problem. And then the second scan, three months later, showed a very different story. So once I asked for the copy of the scan and the notes that go along with the scan, of course, I went to Dr. Google and up popped ovarian cancer. And so uh, I have to say I was frightened because I have a good friend, Tina, that died of ovarian cancer. Uh, ovarian cancer is one of those diseases which moves fast and silently. And it can, um, it's a high-grade aggressive cancer and it can spread quite quickly and it, and it likes to go walk about. It likes to get into the lungs and the brain. And so I was a bit worried. 
Um, the scan said they were suspicious, as you say, and they scheduled surgery as soon as they possibly could. Let's get to that in a moment. But just let me ask you, ovarian cancer, as you say, often described as the silent killer. It's often too late to do anything about it. Did you have symptoms? I did. And uh, that's such a good question. Thank you so much. I was bloated after eating. I felt full all the time. And when I was hanging clothes up, uh, I felt my arms get very, very tired. And because I'd had a friend that gone through this, of course, I knew something about it. And I was being tested. There's a test that you can get called the CA-125 test for the women that are curious out there. Now, strangely enough, my levels were still in the normal range of CA-125. But I went to the doctor and said, this is what's happening. Can you please refer me to a specialist to, to take my ovaries out? And so uh, I, I did survive, I feel, partly because another friend of mine, Donna, who's, who's an older woman, said, Ruth, you must get your ovaries out. <laughs> and so I listened to her. She, she did tell me several times, look, Ruth, you must get your ovaries out when you're finished with them. So uh, I have her to thank for part of that uh, history that caused me to go to the doctor when I was feeling bloated and a little tired and very full all the time. Those were the three symptoms that I found caused me to go to the doctor and ask to refer to, to be referred to a specialist. And the first diagnosis was September 2016, aggressive metastatic potential fast growing. What happened then? Well, I uh, found out uh, we, we got a phone call two and a half weeks after surgery because of the Queen's birthday or something. <laughs> and uh, it took two and a half weeks to get the diagnosis of stage two B, ovarian cancer. And my husband and I just both fell completely silent. Uh, we did have a provisional result on the day of surgery where they said they thought they got it all and they wasn't sure whether it was cancer. But on the follow-up lab test, it certainly was. Uh, when you're told, and I know because, uh, because of my experience with Tina, um, I knew that, uh, she had limited time after the diagnosis and, and I pretty well had to accept that, that this might well be the last year of my life at the age of 56. So, uh, my husband and I talked about it and then uh, the hospital scheduled a scan and I had to go inside this big machine and, just wait, and to, and the, the scan would tell me whether the cancer had spread or not. So you can imagine what, what that was like, just waiting. Yeah. And, oh, I've got a story. My, my husband's ex-wife, Kathy, rang me to make sure I was okay. I, I really do thank her for that because, you know, all of us were at all at sea because this struck suddenly and without warning. So she made sure I was okay while waiting for oh, the scan. Lovely. That's a lovely story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, she's lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not a story you you hear that often. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Well, she has this great uh, sense of humor, and uh, she's uh, you know she's a good good mother to the two uh, children, and they're my stepchildren as well, and uh, I love them dearly. So oh, that's great. It, everybody was a bit concerned when I fell ill. So the doctor says we're going to remove them. You have, yes. you have the surgery, and you said no to chemotherapy. Why? Well, I'm a little bit like that. That's <laughs> prior, <laughs> prior to surgery, I, uh, I was speaking with my sister, Joan, 
as she knows who she is. And uh, she said, oh, Ruth, I have this abdominal incision, which is a straight line up from the belly button to the breastbone. And I went, ooh, I don't want one of those. <laughs> so I told the head surgeon that I didn't want one of those. And he looked at me as if I'd put the knife into him. And ah, he did. And I said, and he said, are you telling me that if we have to do an abdominal incision, you want us to abandon surgery? And I thought for a minute and I said, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And I said, why would you need to do that big incision? And he said, well, just in case we have to go to the lung. And I said, well, with all due respect, that's, uh, I know that if it hits my lung, I'm stuffed. And I said, and besides, that's Mission Creek. I'm agreeing to surgery for you to remove my ovaries and tubes. And that's it. So reluctantly, <laughs> he changed the form to say, and he shoved the form back for me to sign the changes. So had I not done that, I don't know what would have happened, but at any rate, they did the surgery laparoscopically, which was a big problem because they found a lot of internal scar tissue that took them an hour and a half more to do. But anyway, aside from all that, uh, after, uh, what did you ask after surgery? I didn't, I declined chemo. Yeah. And that's uh, totally unsurprising because I did see my friend Tina. She fought, she fought with everything to stay alive and that included chemotherapy. And I accompanied her to her chemotherapy sessions. Uh, and in those sessions, I would go around and unsurprisingly, I would talk to people. And I met this young woman with inflammatory breast cancer who had to wear uh, ice gloves to stop her fingernails from falling off. So powerful were, th were those chemicals. And the, and, the, and the technicians that administered the chemotherapy had to wear protective gear because the chemicals were that strong. Uh, and it's, it's probably just because I just could not do it. I, and I had to accept that it may well be my final uh, year if I declined chemo, but that's, I made that decision. Now, I have to tell you, a younger woman might have made a different decision than I did. And I certainly, <laughs> I certainly wouldn't encourage people to knock back chemotherapy just, <laughs> just because they're, they're worried about the chemicals. I think there are things you can do to help chemotherapy along. And, uh, if this cancer came back, I may well consider chemo. But at that, at that time, I, I didn't. I knocked it back. So you, you wrote to me that you had used alternate therapies. Tell us about those. Uh, yes, yes. Like, like, oh. like what? Oh, well, um, I, I used a herbal concoction from a company in Ecuador called Amazon Tonic 3. <laughs> and, that, you know, and I also employed water fasting. I did an 11-day water fast. I could not believe it. I felt so good, what? but I quit fasting about a week prior to surgery. Wait a minute, wait a minute, and wait a minute, Ruth, Ruth, Ruth. What's an 11-day water fast? Well, uh, you drink water and you don't eat. And the hunger pains diminish and then you're not hungry. And your body has an opportunity to heal itself and reset the immune system. And, and I did that to reset the immune system. Some of the champions in my life are the doctors that's, that go on YouTube stepping outside the bounds of what is considered standard practice. And those doctors, God bless them, saved my life. One of such doctors is Jason Fung, who operates out of Toronto, and he uses fasting as a, as a, uh, to reverse serious 
issues of diabetes. And he says, you know, fasting can reset the immune system. There's also Dr. Seafried who uses fasting and there's, there's many, many more. So uh, I'll give you a link to a small article I've read if, if you want to post it there or I can comment when this podcast comes out. But there are lots of things that people can do to remove the power from the cancer ledger and put it in the immune, your ledger to try to beat this thing. So, so an 11-day yes. water fast, so, so you only drink water for 11 days? Yes. Yes, yes. My husband couldn't quite believe it either. And I was not bothered. He could, you know, he cooked his meals and I was not bothered. I just didn't want to eat. And um, now you have to make sure that you have enough fat reserves to fast. Now, now that I'm a bit thin, I, I certainly couldn't fast for 11 days. It would be more destructive than productive. But I, I did a, I did several long fasts. I followed that up with a 16 day water fast. And um, goodness gracious, year, I can't oh, possibly I imagine that. I know. Well, you're pretty lean, Dan. I, <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> <get> <laughs> <you through> this. <laughs> not after Christmas, I'm not. No. And, <laughs> but join, join the club. Yeah, yeah. So, so you used the alternate therapies. You went back again. And how long after the operation and the knocking back of the chemotherapy did you go back and, and they said, look, you appear to be okay? Well, take us through that next well, process. It was, well, they scheduled a scan in October. So from that scan, I knew, oh, my God. Oh, yes, that's when that's when Kathy rang me. That scan told me that the cancer hadn't spread. And then it was then and there that I knew I thank God for my my health. You know, yeah. uh, I really did. I, I really feel that it's, um, uh, you know, it's one of those um, things that you feel blessed and um, that's all there is to it. That's all I can say. So um, the, it was in October that I knew that the cancer hadn't spread and it was just fingers crossed. Now, my oncologist uh, looked at me with a mix of sadness and uh, disbelief and frustration when I finally told her that I was not going to take chemo. So, and she said, Ruth, you know, we have one chance to knock this cancer on the head. And if it comes back, you do realize that it's palliative care. That's your only option. I said, yes, I know. So I really had to be prepared. Gosh. It was a, it was a tough call, but uh, I, I, it was my decision. Yeah. Now you start walking to recover, yes. <laughs> right? No. Now, yes. now the story begins. The Camino journey begins because you start to walk. You can walk about 100 meters and slowly but surely you're able to walk down to the shops. You know, it's half a K. Walking is great yes. therapy, it, it, yes. not just in terms of fitness and recovery, but great therapy, isn't it? Yes, yes. And I got to think about the future. I, I, you know, it's a... I've always been a very cautious child. My mother told me that I would never, as a toddler, I would never sit down until I could feel the floor underneath my feet. So <laughs> I guess the walks made me feel better slowly. I mean, oh my gosh, I was walking at a very slow pace. <laughs> and then it got to the fact that I could keep, now my husband stayed home a year to help look after me and he walked with me everywhere. And I gradually uh, got to keep pace with him, and then I started to outpace him. So I knew <laughs> I knew I was getting better, but that took that took about a year or more. Wow! Yes, and yeah, and, so. and it was, so your husband takes a year off to look after you. Sounds like an amazing supporter. Oh, he is. You know, uh, I did have my dark moments. You know, I'd I'd wake up in the middle of the night. 
and I'd just get so scared. I, I, I was scared that the cancer had spread to my lungs and I'd start breathing, you know, like having trouble breathing, you know, you know how us women are. And all I would have to do is reach out and touch him and it would just calm me. He'd be fast asleep, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but it, uh, he really did calm me and help me. And so I love him to bits. He, he, so he's the best thing that's ever happened to me. So, yes. And, and the doctors at the Brisbane Martyr Hospital called, called you the cat with nine lives. Oh, yes, they did so recently. Now, yes, I've got... Um, I've got fairly high cholesterol due to some dubious dietary practices I've adopted, which is a low-carb, high-fat diet. And they did lecture me sternly about my high cholesterol level. And they did say, you don't want to be, you're the cat with nine lives. You know, we consider that you've survived and, and you're really, really good right now. Don't die of something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I said, That's... I'm listening, I'm listening. But um, So someone, who, gonna... someone who's on the, the low-carb, high-fat diet then goes on an 11-day or 16-day water fast. Yes, yes. Wow. That's right. That's me. You've got, yeah, some, yeah. you've got some discipline there, Ruth. I do, I do, I do. But, I, you know, it feels so good. I mean, um, I used to eat just a standard diet, and I eat, I eat a lot of takeaway. I eat a lot of McDonald's, and I found myself about 60 pounds heavier than I would normally be. Like now I'm, you know, now I'm pretty skinny. Yeah. But, um, you know, I was I was big, and, and I hadn't been big in my entire life, and it really frustrated me. So I found that ditching most processed foods, and, and it didn't stop there. I mean, Oh boy, the I I changed skin creams, I changed shampoos, I changed cleaners. You know, I, uh, you know, we put a filter in our shower. Everything that I could think of to reduce the chemical load was done. So there's a lot that can be done by people to 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 improve their immune system. I would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah. Because it's everywhere you turn. Well, that's right. And everywhere. I have to be careful because yeah. now I'm so thankful to be alive. I might turn into evangelist. <laughs> <laughs> a food well, a food evangelist <laughs> well let's 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 try a little evangelism because this is the part I love the most it's late 2017 and you decided to walk the Camino de Santiago leaving in March 2018 yes now how healthy and fit were you then like how, how far were you walking each day when you decided I think I can do this yeah probably about 40 minutes each day oh, okay and so you had yeah, quite the climb ahead of you then i know <laughs> yes <laughs> that that's an understatement unless you're planning on taking a year to walk the camino or something yeah well that's right well see i didn't know i mean uh, when i broke the news to my husband he went oh <laughs> i said do you want to come he goes no <laughs> so now just days before you left ah uh, you thought yes. the cancer came back. Yes. But you uh, went the, anyway. I did, yes. Um, one of the symptoms uh, that uh, you have to watch for abdominal symptoms like bowel problems and stuff. Now, we're not going to get into bowel problems, I promise. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that'll ruin the whole podcast. But I did have symptoms that ha the oncologist warned me about. And I thought, well, is this the cancer representing itself? Is it? And another friend came to my rescue, Dee, and and her friend Suzanne. And and Dee has had experience with issues, abdominal issues. And um, she said, "Ruth, 
if you get into trouble, just ask for a defacogram. So that's what I kept to. And my husband then promised me, because we, we were, I was, I paid for the trip and I really wanted to go, but I was so scared. Anyway, he said, Ruth, I'll come and collect you. If you get sick, I'll come and collect you. So that's all the, all the reassurance I needed. So off I went. <laughs> oh, you, my God. You flew out. Yes. Not knowing yes. whether you'd be able to walk six hours, six days, or six weeks. That's right. That's exactly right. But the rest is so, history. You made yeah, it. Yeah, the rest is history. So you can imagine how thankful I am to have completed it. <laughs> and, I, and I want to do another one. <laughs> so I'm going to go through a handful of questions, and you might, you might tell us about, first of all, tell us about crossing the Pyrenees, because uh, you're, you're there day one. <laughs> I mean, yes, your listeners might might rightfully decide that I am a little bit eccentric. But anyway, I was jet lagged. I, I flew, I flew into Paris, then overnighted in Paris. Took the next plane I could to Biarritz. Uh, took a bus to uh, Saint Jean Pied de Port. Found an alberg. Spent the night, and just started out the next morning. And and in the next morning, God. Gosh, it was freezing cold. Oh, I'm glad my husband helped me pack because I packed a lot of gear that I I wouldn't otherwise have packed because I I was expecting the temperatures to be a little bit warmer. So thank you, Richard. But uh, as I started out from St. Jean-Pied-de-Port, the church bells chimed seven times because it was seven o'clock in the morning. And I took that as a good omen. Yes. And it was just wonderful. It was a wonderful moment. I mean, you know what those moments are like along oh, the Camino. Yeah. And to have one like that. Yeah. And, of course, I'm not known for my ability to orienteer myself in the physical world. And, and I, that means I get lost easily. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. I've got absolutely no sense of direction. <laughs> anyway, uh, Everybody was joking with me, Ruth, you are going to get lost. You can't find your way around a city block, much less Spain. <laughs> but I proved them wrong. I did uh, actually pay attention. Did you, you see when what is when I'm walking, my mind wanders, and I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Well, that's probably yeah, that's not a bad right. thing, right? Because you don't you don't necessarily worry about things. Well, well that's right. But but I did. <laughs> I have to tell you, I did miss a few yellow arrows <laughs> at one stage. If you walk about 20 minutes or half an hour and don't see a yellow arrow, you probably should turn around and see where all the other pilgrims have gone. That's good advice. I should have (laughs) followed that advice myself on a number of occasions. And it was the fact that there was nobody else around and I hadn't seen an arrow for half an hour that I've missed a turn here. So tell us, so, so you cross the Pyrenees, you, you, you're through Roncesvalles, you, you into Pamplona. Oh. How, how are you feeling by the time you reach that beautiful town square in Pamplona? Oh, well, uh-uh. <laughs> I was convinced that I must be absolutely off my nut because I never, I never regretted it for an instant, right? I never did. But the weather, I mean, when I got into Roncesvalles, I was stuffed. I was jet lag and stuff. Now, I went the Varcalos route, which is the low route, but it's a lot of up and down and up and yeah. down and up and down. And me and Frederico helped each other over <laughs> over the peak, and we both turned up in Roncesvalles, and we were just both completely stuffed, but happy because I'd done it. And by the time I reached Pamplona, my gloves had shown – I had just some tiny little – stupid gloves from Queensland that were of no use in the cold. So I, I, I ditched those. 
And uh, at walking into Pamplona, I was convinced that I was just off my nut. But <laughs> when I finally got to this beautiful, <laughs> beautiful alberg, and then uh, Federico and I and a couple of others went out to Ernest Hemingway's restaurant. Oh, yeah. We had the most wonderful meal. Oh, my goodness. Yes. That was one of the few very expensive treats. <laughs> so, so by this stage, you are thinking, well, I've got another five weeks ahead of me. I'm not doing too badly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, uh, I you, largely took it one day at a time, yeah. one stage at a time, one step at a time. Yeah. And did, did, yeah. You, did you tell the other people that, like Frederico and other people that you met, um, did you tell them why you were walking and, and the, the pre-story? Yes, I did, yes. Mm, and mm. they just said, well, you're, you know, yeah, I mean, there was a, there was a young girl that dropped out. She was from Germany, and she dropped out because she her Achilles tendons were inflamed. And I just thought, oh dear. But see, when you're from Australia and you go to do the Camino, you, you don't want to find yourself a scratching at the next day's starting post. No, that's right. <laughs> you've, you've really got to look after yourself. And I, I listened to my legs. If my legs started complaining, I would have a short two days. And then I, I had a couple of really long days too. So, but I listened to my body. Tell us about the people you met then. Oh, yes. Some, uh, well, Frederico was a very social uh, man, and he was lots of fun, and uh, all around him was always a crowd. There were a couple of guys from Germany. Um, I forget, the, their names don't come to me now, but they were both in their 70s. And there was a lot of other people that, that were a lot younger than us. So us yeah. older people hung together, and we called ourselves the post-kids <laughs> I love it. We, just, we would just laugh when you see of course you'd drop out of touch with some people and then you'd go back and get back in touch with them you'd see them along the track yeah that's wonderful and we just laugh and laugh and shake our heads saying you're still here like how how did you do that <laughs> that's right well some people you see some days and you think man you, you you're not going to be here much longer and then you see them a couple yes. of weeks later and they look fantastic that's right. You know, one, one young woman had blisters all over her feet and, oh, she was in terrible shape, but I saw her near the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It was amazing. Tell us about the Masetta and what, and how you found that because that can sometimes be a very arduous and, and, oh. and sometimes lonely journey. It, it was arduous, lonely, rainy, cold, and impossibly windy. Oh, oh, <laughs> I, uh, you see, now at this stage, too, I'd lost a lot of weight walking the Camino. Now, uh, um, uh, I was not eating near enough. And, of course, I don't eat normally eat bread or potatoes. Well, I'll tell you what, Dan, I, I started eating everything in sight. So the wind on the Mesetta, <laughs> the wind on the Mesetta nearly blew me off my pins. God, it's true. <laughs> so this is shocking. And so this is March, April. Yeah, March, April, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so windy and, and, um, and cold. Oh, and the roar, I mean, the wind just roars. Like, it's really, really, really windy. But it was beautiful out in the wide open spaces. And um, <clears throat> you could see by that time that you were walking into spring. Yeah. And that was another thing that really, really helped me. Um. But uh, as I said, I lost a lot of weight, and I started eating everything in sight, like bread, potatoes, you name it. Dessert, the Santiago tart. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. The almond tart. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had three pieces in one day, like, 
putting food in me, putting food in my gob was like putting kindling on a roaring furnace. Oh, <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. That's fantastic. <laughs> I'd do it again just to eat like that. That again. is so great. <laughs> That is so great. Oh, I know, yes. I know. I, I have been a few times I've Googled the recipe, but I've not had had uh, quite got around to making a Santiago tart, but I don't think it would be that difficult. Well, I've got a recipe that I'll text to you. It's perfect. Oh. It took me, oh, yeah, it took me three or four goes to get it right. Yeah, yeah. That, well, okay, now I'm in okay. business. Now. Oh, yeah, yeah. T- tell you'll, us- you'll not thank me later. You, you're going to be eating too much tart for <laughs> <to> San Diego. <laughs> Well, tell us about arriving in Santiago de Compostela. Oh, well, um, that was interesting because we left early. And um, can I tell you just one more short story along yeah, the way? Yeah, of course you uh, can. Just one more short story. Yeah. My, wa- my watch had stopped during March and I thought, oh, what am I going to do with this stopped watch? But I put it in my bag. And I thought, now I had a friend, uh, a friend's daughter die of a brain cancer, and she stayed with Richard and I during her recovery from her first operation, and, and uh, she lost her battle. And so I took that stopped watch, and I hung it on a cross just outside of Castro Lleres. And I thought that, that cross was on a major hill, and her, her, her nieces and, nep- and nephews, if there are any nephews, her family can come and see that watch if they want to. And I thought, you know, her and I really talked a lot during our, both our battles with cancer. And unfortunately, she lost hers about a year and a half ago. So, yeah, it was very, very sad. She was only 31 years old. Oh. Terrible. Oh, yeah, it's gut- I was gutted. I had to- so many dark days after her death. And, and uh, yeah, but anyway, that was one thing. And I, I loved doing it. It was just a small tribute that I could pay to someone who's, whose watch was stopped far too early. Anyway, arriving in Santiago was amazing. Now, we set off very early, and I had my headlamp on, and we set off early from uh, the name of the town. I forget. I, ca- I kept a journal, which was amazing. I, I wrote pencil, so this is this journal, but I, I forget the name of the town. It might, it'll probably come to me two seconds after we stop the broadcast. <laughs> but we <laughs> – that's – you know, I'm nearly 60. Anyway uh, – We left in the dark because we wanted to walk into Santiago. We wanted to get there for the noon service. That was the, that was the, that was the mission. And so uh, someone named, oh, what was his name? Uh, Don't remember. He said, he walked up to me and he said, can I walk with you? Because I have no light. (laughs) What is, so if you thought I was mad as a cut snake, he was even madder. He was walking without a light in the dark. So of course I said, so we walked together. And uh, we just walked into the city, and the first glimpse of the Camino, we pointed it out. It was well in the distance, and I, I wept. I just touched my heart. I could not believe I was so, 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 so thankful for having made it. Like, th- there are, as you well know, uh, it's steep, muddy, treacherous, hard. <laughs> yeah. In all sections. Of, all in of those sections. things and more. All of those things. And the best walk ever. But uh, it's it's not for the faint-hearted. So um, you know, he was he was brilliant. So we walked together, and then I went into the cathedral, and I prayed to I prayed to God. I prayed thanks. I gave thanks for my life, and as I did a lot along the way, I stopped into every cathedral that I could get into. And uh, Easter is an amazing time to go because you see these Easter celebrations, which are I'll tell you what the Spanish know how to do Easter. I mean. 
Oh boy! Yeah, we're we're pretty slack. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think, yeah, and I think those centuries and centuries of tradition they cling to for for all of those really special reasons. And if you can experience just a little bit of it, being somebody from a nation like Australia or, or Canada, it, it's mind blowing. It's amazing. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. It's total cultural. It's, it's yeah. cultural gape-jawed wonder. Yeah, yes, yeah, wonder exactly. is such a thing. Yes, Ruth, yes. what's the best thing about being a pilgrim? Oh, well, <laughs> you come home and you get to say, hey, look, I did something epic. But the, <laughs> but the better part is uh, renewed faith in God and faith uh, and uh, thankfulness for my life. And renewed uh, vigor, I started a Facebook channel called Pass the Torch, which is a nod to those brave men who fought in World War One and World War Two, And uh, it's uh, based on a poem in Flanders Fields. And uh, they, they, they uh, ask us to pass the torch to the next generation. So, so I talk about things like food and fitness and femininity and of course, politics. <laughs> you can't get out of politics. No, and can't. farming, because I'm very, very much into healthy food. And I think what we do to our farmers in Australia, uh, well, not we, the citizens, we, the government, both sides of government. Uh-oh, here I be very into politics. Stop, stop. But, uh, you know, I, I'm very, very interested in healthy food and, and uh, a lifestyle that determines uh, a pursuit of truth and reason rather than the pursuit of of headlines and 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 made up stories so yes so that's it's given me a renewed vigor to go and pursue what i believe to be important in life and, and yeah and that's <laughs> and did you it's called pass the torch yes pass the torch yes yes on facebook so you'll see i've, I've interviewed um senator uh, senator candidates and I've, I've met some other senator candidates for queensland and i want to interview a lot of these independent senators to tell me uh, what they think is important for Queensland, because I think it's important to put a break on the powers that be. Uh, I have uh, this might not surprise you or your listeners, but I don't uh, I don't dance well with authority. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I never have, but I never will. I probably well, I was the middle child of seven, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what? What was exciting too was the Buda Fumiero. You know, the Buda Fumiero yeah. was, was done when we uh, arrived in the cathedral and sat down for the service, which was in Spanish. I thought, well, here you go. I mean, I was thankful to be there, but I didn't understand a word. But they gave a lovely blessing in English to the pilgrims at the end of the service, and then they get the Buda Fumiero going. That was another brilliant part. I was so thankful. If, if, if anyone's and, li listening, wondering what that is, that's the big silver. Uh, Urn, it's an oh, urn, urn, I think, yes, on, yes. An, on a massive system of ropes and pulleys oh. that swings the length and breadth of the cathedral. If you Google it, you'll find it. But it's really something yes. special. It's quite extraordinary. If, 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 if someone, you tell somebody, well, when I walk the Camino, and they say, what is that? How do you describe the Camino to people? I say it's a trek across Spain. It's about 900 kilometers from Woe to Go. And they, went, and they go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. But, uh, you know, depending on the reaction, I say to them, if you really want to go, you need to go. Do, do it while you can. And uh, my Facebook post, I think, sums it up on the day I arrived in Santiago de Compostela. Yeah. May I quote? Go ahead. I have arrived. 800 kilometers, 1 million steps, 
a lifetime of memories. I still get touched. Five kilos of chocolate. <laughs> yeah. It's so, so it's so great. It's so great. I, that was actually three questions away. But I want to... Oh, that's okay. But, <laughs> yes. but let, now let me ask you what's next here. What have you learned about yourself? Oh, goodness. That's a very good question. I think I've learned that I'm naturally lazy and... To, <laughs> And uh, to, you know, you have to really uh, challenge those attributes about yourself that you think are, are are not contributing. I mean, I've started training for a 5K run. Now, that that's a silly venture. Now, do listeners, do not do this when you're just turning 60, right? Do not. <laughs> it's a, I tripped in four weeks into the training program. I tripped and fell badly. And oh, my Ow. gosh, I have. Oh, I have skid marks all over my body, elbows, no. knees, side of hands, hip bone. Anyway, I've, I've healed from that, and I've started up the training program again. So I'm hoping to run a 5K in January of next year. So that's one thing. I want to really keep up my fitness uh, because fitness and walking puts you in touch with your body, how you're breathing, how you're doing. Mm. Uh, number two is don't be, don't be, uh, scared. If you do get sick, uh, by all means go to your doctor, but don't be, don't be scared to go outside the, uh, standard medical. I, I, I have a great naturopath in, in Toowoomba that I still go to. Her name is Michelle Glass, Glassbrook. And she, I credit her with, uh, restoring my health. So she, she, uh, fed me some, she, she's an herbalist and she, she, uh, uh, concocted some things for me to take while I was healing. So, yes, it, it's just an amazing story. I, I can't believe <laughs> I can't believe I'm talking to you. <laughs> I know. Well, that leads perfectly into my next question. And that is, if I could take you back in time to whisper something into your own ear, the day you started this cancer journey, what would it be? Ooh, calm down, calm down. Don't. You know, you, you've got this. You've got this. There are a lot of things people can do in conjunction with standard treatment to increase their odds. And I think looking, looking after the only body you will ever have is not so easy these days because the, the big food companies, uh, here I go again, uh, the, the, what's available, I know, <laughs> what's available in most grocery stores is something that I would not consider fodder for for an animal right it's processed it's denatured the the vitamins are all gone from it it comes in a nice pretty package it's full of carbohydrates full of sugar uh the reason we have an obesity and diabetes diabetes epidemic amongst the baby boomer and younger population is because we've eaten too much of this stuff yeah. now i'm lucky because i know what real food is supposed to taste like i i grew up on a dairy farm so in a sense, I've gone back to my roots, finding uh, farmers that, that um, uh, produce good grass-fed beef, finding farmers that produce good produce, uh, going to farmers' markets rather than, rather than the big chain grocery yeah. stores. Yeah. Um, you know, get, get, and choosing my food more carefully than I would have in my youth. Uh, you know, uh, I quit drinking alcohol. It was, it was young Ashley, the, the one that lost her battle to brain cancer that actually inspired me to quit drinking alcohol. And that, then, oh boy, <laughs> I'm, I'm now so boring at parties. I'd hardly even go. 
<laughs> I just sit and watch everyone else do stupid things. <laughs> well, now, but let, it, I think the answer you gave, calm down. Yeah, yeah. Is, is just such great advice generally. Mm, yeah. We could learn so much from all of that, couldn't we? And, yes. And, and yes. I, I wanted to ask you if there was one word that you could use to sum up your Camino, what would, ah, what would it be? Ah, gratitude. Gratitude. Now, gratitude. perfectly, because in your email to me, you signed off by saying, I'm very grateful to be alive. So yeah. what, what's it like to be very grateful to be alive? Well, um, you... You are great. You express your gratitude in not not entering every fight that you <laughs> that you're invited to. Right. You just have to say, look, you know, uh, it, you and I just have to agree to disagree. You care for other people by ringing them up when when you have something to thank them for you. You ring them up and thank them for it. You spend time with the people you love and you don't spend time with the people that you don't like very much. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty simple. You know? isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um and I still I still pray from time to time. Um I I don't go to church and uh if I had to find a church it would probably be the Coptic Christian church, the the ones that really have some muscle and beef beneath their Christianity because they need it. They need it. Um and I think telling the truth when you can every time you can is really really important. What's in store? What's in store for oh, Ruth Beardsley? Well, What's on the uh, horizon? What's in store? Yes, I. Well, well, I might be famous after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. But I want to. Yeah. What's in store? I want to do a 5K run. I want to line up the rest of the interviews that I want to do with the prospective Senate candidates in Queensland, and. Um, I want to just uh, live a life. Oh, I'm growing. Uh, <laughs> I'm growing some bush lemons. Do you know what bush lemons are? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Oh my god, they're yeah. the best kept secret. Yeah, yeah we had we, we had bush lemons in Toowoomba when we were boys. Well, I didn't know anything about bush lemons until my husband brought me some back from New South Wales. He brought me thirty lemons, and I went, "Oh, thank you, honey." <laughs> <laughs> then I tasted the juice. Oh my god, the juice is so good. So I grew. I planted like 12 seedlings and I got three out of it. So I've got, I'm looking at two massively healthy uh, grown up seedlings as we speak. So uh, I'm going to um, plant one at a property that I have and I'm going to keep one in a pot. And I can't wait to see them bear fruit in about five or six years or 10 years or however, however long it takes to get, to get fruit off these lemon trees. Um, so that's the other thing that's in store. Can I just tell you something? Our neighbours used to say, pee on them. Oh, good. I'll let my husband know. <laughs> pee, pee on them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and, excellent. And we did. Oh, good. On bush, <laughs> You pee on bush lemons. That's a good Fantastic. way for you and I to finish this conversation, Ruth. <laughs> Look, I think, I honestly think you are an inspiration. Oh, thank you. And congratulations you. on surviving. Ah, oh, thank you. Yes. Congratulations yeah, my... on living. Oh, I want to enjoy every day I can. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. I was going to say keep on surviving, keep on living, and keep, thank you. And keep on giving. Keep on passing the torch. Yes, thank you. I will. <laughs>
Thank you so much for your time, Ruth. I've thoroughly okay. enjoyed talking to you. Okay. God bless, Dan. Bye. Thanks. And buen camino. Buen camino. <laughs> My guest this week, the Australian and Canadian pilgrim and cancer survivor, Ruth Beardsley. That page Ruth talked about on Facebook is Pass the Torch. The US writer Frank Herbert said, without new experiences, something inside of us sleeps. The sleeper must awaken. I think it's fair to say something has awoken within Ruth Beardsley. I'm grateful for the people that come into my life via the Camino de Santiago, and I'm grateful as always for your company. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Buen Camino.